Please turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. If you're using the Bibles and the benches, found on page 1832. We'll just read verses 9 through 12 of chapter 1 and then the first three verses of chapter 2 in that book. Though our message will not be directly based on this text, it's a fitting passage to read as we launch into a series on the Belgic Confession of Faith. Trust that so we'll see why as we uh, hear the holy word of our God. For this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And then chapter 2. I want you to know says the Apostle Paul, how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So far the reading of God's holy word. And uh, you won't have need tonight to uh, turn in the Belgic Confession itself here at the outset to Article 1 because we are only going to consider as an introduction to this Confession of Faith the very uh, first part of the first line of the confession. We or we all believe in the heart and confess with the mouth. That in fact is the title of the message there, printed out for you in the order of service. We all believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. We believe. And at the outset I want you to think about the of the theme of what the Apostle Paul was saying in the letter to the Colossians in the couple of passages that we read. He repeated a few different words. One of them was knowledge. One of them was knowledge. There is a certain content to our faith, isn't there? And the Apostle Paul wants us to grow up into the knowledge of God. To increase the knowledge of God that we have. He also spoke of understanding. Understanding that which God has revealed in His Word. Understanding the glories of Christ. Understanding the truth of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what 
The Apostle Paul is exhorting us to believe. And the Belgic Confession tonight is a good tool. So we come to it again. To grow in our understanding of God. To grow in our knowledge of Him who saved us. We all believe in the heart and confess with the mouth. Tonight we're just going to examine that opening expression in the confession and its implications for us as a church family and as individual Christians. We're going to do it by asking three easy questions. The first is, who are we talking about when we say we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth? The second question we want to ask is, what are those people doing? And third, how are they doing it? We all believe in the heart and confess with the mouth. First of all, who? Who is the we in the Belgic Confession? And one of the most crucial things to understand in answer to the question, who is the we, in the opening line of the Belgic Confession, is to recognize that it's speaking about official members of a confessional church. The who in the Belgic Confession When it says, we all believe, that we is not just talking about any people in the abstract who supposedly line themselves up if they would sit down and think about it with the truths that are expressed, but the we are the official members of a confessional church. People that belong to a duly organized confessional church community. And this speaks to the very churchliness on the whole of the Belgian Confession. When we are entering into a study of a good summary of the Christian faith in the Belgian Confession, it is not simply the writings or the thoughts of a few people here and there who got together and said, yeah, this is a pretty good idea and this falls in line with the Scripture. This is a public confession that belongs to official confessional churches. It is churchly. I want you to think about Take your blue psalter hymnal in the back behind the songs to number 83. I want to explain to you what we mean by the Belgic Confession is churchly. Page 83 behind the songs, we look at Article 28 there of the Belgic Confession. And I just want to read to you a little phrase that's in the middle of that first paragraph there on the left-hand side, Article 28. Everyone is bound to join himself to the true church. Look, it says... But that all men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves with it, that is the church, maintaining the unity of the church, submitting themselves to the doctrine and the discipline thereof. You see, the Belgian Confession does not think of theology, it does not think of a basic summary of the Christian faith apart from the church. It does not envision someone even perhaps coming to full agreement with the context, contents of the Belgic Confession of Faith which they have found to be true from the Scripture and not being part of the church or a church which propounds those truths as their confession. All men are in duty bound to join and unite themselves to the church maintaining the unity of that church and, note, submitting themselves to the doctrine of that church. This is a churchly confession. The we is those who belong to that church. And so this idea is reflected, of course, in uh, various ways in the life of our own local church here, which we are uh, happily taking the Belgic Confession 
to be a faithful summary of God's Word. We are happy to say that we are part of the we. Says that we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth these truths. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Your back of your Psalter hymnals already open. Look on page 132. Different people at different times in the life of the church will face this practically. This is the application of this principle that our confession is not just abstract and out there, but it is a churchly confession. When a young child grows up, or perhaps someone who has been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, apart from a confessionally reformed church, comes to make profession of faith. Look at the first vow that they are requested to take. First, do you heartily believe, there on the left hand side, that the doctrine contained in the Old and New Testament and in the articles of the Christian faith and taught in this Christian church that it is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And do you promise by the grace of God steadfastly to continue in this profession? This is a churchly confession. When someone stands to join this church, they not only agree in what some people might call the essentials or the very uh, bare bones basics of the Christian faith, but they stand and say that they agree, they believe the doctrine contained or taught, most specifically here, taught in this Christian church. And what is distinctive about this Christian church's teachings is explained, confessed in the Belgic Confession. Turn the page to 134. The other form makes this even more clear. On the left-hand side at the bottom, do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God revealing Christ in His redemption and that the confessions of this church faithfully reflect this revelation? This is a churchly confession. So what it means to be a member of the church is that you believe the contents of this confession to be a faithful summary of God's holy word, which is true. Page 125. When parents are presenting children to take uh, upon them the sacrament of baptism, we ask the parents, do you acknowledge, page 125, second there, that paragraph, do you acknowledge the doctrine which is contained in the Old and New Testament and in the articles of the Christian faith and which is taught here in this Christian church to be the true and complete doctrine of salvation and this is worded in various ways through the other baptismal forms and for the adult baptismal forms if someone comes from the outside this is a churchly confession the we the we is referring to the official members of a confessional church which confesses uh, that Belgic confession it also applies directly doesn't it to a subset of the members of Christ Church. It applies certainly to the officers of Christ Church. The we, in we all believe in the heart and confess with the mouth, is true of the officers. It's true of the pastor. It's true of the elders. And it's true of the deacons. Now I want you to think about something. It has... uh, It's an idea that's often been floating around and it's not a true one. Where the officers of the church, especially the pastor really is the one who is seen to believe the confession of faith of the churches. The elders mostly believe, it's thought, the confessions of the church. The deacons kind of believe the confessions of the church. And the members, who knows what they really believe? As long as they say they believe in Jesus Christ and that's how it works. The Reformed churches, when we have confessed historically, we all believe in the heart and confess with the mouth, we mean it. 
it is a confession that belongs to everyone in the church. No more or less so than to a pastor or to an elder or to a deacon. Now certainly there's a difference, hopefully, between the maturity and the understanding and the awareness in doctrine that belongs to the minister of the word and to the elders of the church and to the deacons in distinction perhaps from the congregation in some ways. But that does not mean, and if we have this thought tonight, let's get it out of our heads, this does not mean that the pastor is the one who really believes it, the elders are the ones who mostly believe it, the deacons are the ones who kind of believe it, and the congregation, well, who knows what they really believe. When we have a Belgic confession as a church, and it starts by saying we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth, we are saying that as members of this church, this is what we all believe. The form of subscription, obviously, for the ministers of the word and the elders and the deacons in the church, which if you want to later sometime, you can glance at that. It's on page 117 behind the songs there. Obviously, that's more lengthy and goes into more detail and describes the duties of those officers pertaining to their confession uh, more directly. But that doesn't mean that somehow the subscription or the agreement of the members of a local church is somehow less than that, is what, uh, than that which is expected of the officers of the church. That's not true. Now this is an admonition uh, to all of us who would stand in this church as members. And if we are not going to be intellectually dishonest, and we are going to be true to our brothers and sisters in this church who profess this faith, this faith with us, then we should say this and actually believe it. It is not okay to sit in the bench and hear the truth of God proclaimed from His Word as summarized in our confessions and decide whether or not you're going to take exception with it. Why? Because insofar as the confession summarizes the Word of God faithfully, which it does, we are obligated to believe it. We're obligated to submit to the doctrine of the church insofar as that doctrine is faithful to the Word of God, which the Belgic Confession is. Maybe tonight you've been a member of this church for many years. And you sit there skeptically when you hear some of the distinctives of our tradition being explained and proclaimed from our pulpits. And I call on you tonight to be faithful to the vow that you took when you professed faith in this church. To conform your own thoughts and your own speech, your own understanding of the scripture to the truth. Perhaps you're considering joining this church. Perhaps you've been regularly visiting this congregation. And I call on you tonight not to join hastily, but to soberly consider the distinctives of the Word of God that are proclaimed. And if it takes you a little while longer, then let it take you a little while longer. And if you have more questions, then you press those questions. And you test what we say by the Word of God. But when you discover it to be the truth, then you stand with the people of God and say, we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth. The we are the official members of the confessional churches and not just our local church of course or even our local federation of churches but all those who would confess these truths with us even if they be in different confessional traditions even if they 
have gone on before us. As many of our forefathers have been called home by the Lord. And we look back over the history of the uh, composition and the preservation and the translation, the acceptance of the Belgic Confession. And we give thanks to the Lord that we are not lone rangers. But we stand in a long tradition of those who, as official members of Christ's confessional church, will say that they believe these things with the heart and confess them with the mouth. Second, what? What do the official members of the confessional church do? We all what? We believe. We believe in the heart. We believe. I want you to think about that word, believe. Because many times it is taken to mean things that are simply not true to what our confession has stated. When we say we believe something, we believe these truths. All of the things that we'll see unfolded over the coming weeks on the Lord's Day evening. When we say that we believe them, that means that we think they are true. That they are right. That they are a faithful summary of God's Word which dictates reality to us. Now, for most of us, this is just second nature. I mean, obviously that's what it means to say you believe something. But unfortunately, there are differing ideas about what belief is and what is acceptable belief to the Father who has revealed Himself in His Word. Let me give you an example. Some people will have no problem saying that they believe in the Bible. They may even say that they believe in the Belgic Confession of Faith. What do they mean by believe? Well, they mean that, look, it's a useful tool to keep our community together. So the, the expressions... The statements that are made about the world and about spiritual things and about life in the Belgic Confession, they may not actually correspond to reality, but I believe in it because it kind of provides my community or my church with something to hold us together. This could be done along ethnic lines. I myself grew up in an ethnic church. Many of you grew up in an ethnic church, right? And one of the dangers of belonging to an ethnic church is that the ethnicity will come at the center of the congregation. Or if it's not one ethnicity, it might be a socioeconomic class. Or it might even be the idea of diversity. And insofar as the Belgian Confession would give us something that could keep us together as a race or as a certain kind of people or as a certain kind of workers or whatever it might be, then it has value and I'll say, I believe in it, to speak nothing of whether or not it's actually true, right? And so sometimes people will say they believe in a confession, even though they don't really believe it corresponds to reality, they don't believe that it's faithfully summarizing the Word of God, that they have to submit themselves to the doctrine found in there. Another thing we see today commonly is people gather together and they have a certain uh, moral understanding of the world. They have a set of values that they like to see. And ironically, a lot of times, these morals and these values are good things. Uh, For example, as we heard brought up in the uh, example in the preaching this morning, homosexuality. There are a lot of people, aren't there, who agree that homosexuality is disgusting and a sin against God, which obviously it is. 
And so, out of a good motivation to keep some kind of a community together that will fight the evils of homosexuality, say, in the culture, people will say, well, yes, insofar as the Belgian Confession of Faith gives us something to rally around, any set of doctrines gives us something to rally around merely for the sake of keeping our values together, good old-time conservative values, sometimes people use this thought politically, sometimes a religion is viewed or descriptions or confessions are viewed as a uh, something that will be the glue to hold together my political community or my moral community, even if some of these things are right and true in and of themselves, you see, it completely distracts them from the question of whether or not these truths are actually dictating reality to us and reflecting the truth about the world. Some people say they believe the, the historic confessions of the church, but they, all they mean by that is it's a description of the faith experience of those who have gone before us. It's not something that really reflects reality. They say that about the Bible. The Bible isn't actually true and dictating to us what is right and what is wrong, but it's just a, a record of the people of God in history and what their particular way of coming to God was and the experiences that they had with God. And we say to that, no. The scripture and the doctrines that come out of the scripture are true and they dictate to us exactly what is true in the world. It is not merely some record of people's religion. It is the truth. And to assign them some sort of value and to say you believe the scripture or believe the confessions when really you don't think that the question of whether or not they're actually true matters is not to believe the confession at all. Which leads us probably to the most pressing perversion of this idea of belief in our own day. When we say we all believe, you know, people are tempted, aren't they, to maybe want to believe the things that are in the scripture and want to believe the things that are in the confession, but really deep down in the heart they don't even think they're right. And we need to be clear tonight, we, we want to be sympathetic with many people who struggle with doubt, don't we? Because we live in a time, we live in an age, we live in a, a time of history which has been overcome with secularism, has been overcome with skepticism, overcome with rationalism, with putting our human understanding and our own understanding at the center of our existence and requiring somehow God to fit our exact understanding otherwise we won't accept Him and so we've grown up a lot of us, right? in this society even if we grew up in the church if we lived at all in the world we come into contact with people who simply don't believe what we believe and they question everything and we hear piercing intellectual arguments from atheists or we look around us in the world and we see millions of people following other religions. And we start to question deep in our minds and in our hearts whether or not the things which we have been taught are true. We face questions like, wow, if I hadn't been born in this kind of a church, I'd probably believe, say, Islam, which came up tonight. And these kinds of questions deep down will plague Christians. So we want to be sympathetic to that tonight. We're not condemning the struggle without itself, what we are saying is wrong, however, 
is to be settled with that. And to say, you know what? All I got to just do is have faith. And by faith, some people mean, I just want to believe what I don't really think is true. I mean, is that scary or what? Is that scary for somebody to say, I just want to believe something that I really don't know if it's true or not? And what I'm saying tonight, what we're saying tonight is when we say we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth, we're not saying we believe something we, we don't know if it's true or not. That's not belief. That's intellectual dishonesty and a lie. There's some people who fancy this and get a kick out of it. They think that they can come and talk to talk, you know, speak the Christian language, sing the songs, enjoy the benefits of the Christian community, keep the morals together, but really don't press them because deep down there are doubts and fears. Now what do we do with that? When we face those doubts and fears, well, first of all, don't run away from them. Don't run away from the doubts and fears. Don't suppress them and say, I'm just going to have faith. I'm just going to believe what I really don't believe. God is the God of truth. The church is not shy about responding to the attacks and the skepticism which the ungodly world and rebels have shouted forth throughout the history of the church and even today to try and, you know, with their slick arguments and speech, their worldly philosophies and their tricky ways of speaking to lead the unsuspecting or those who have not been helped to understand these things astray. But when you are facing doubts and fears, look, don't run away from them. Ask for help to find out the answers. Don't be somebody who says that you believe in the heart and confess with the mouth, with the mouth when you really don't. I mean, thankfully, the Lord has called His servants over time to dissect the arguments of skeptics, to confound the fools, to open the Word of God, to answer those who would argue against us. Don't be scared. Don't be scared when we see Islam gaining ground. Don't be scared when we see atheism gaining ground. Because the Word of God is true and will stand up against all of its enemies. Face the questions that you may have deep down. Don't run away out of the world, but face it and be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Don't turn yourself into a hypocrite. When we say we believe, it means that we actually believe. It is true. It is right and it is good. And there are answers to those who would fight the truth. Third, and last night, how? We, the members of the confessional church, what? Believe that the scripture is true, that the Belgic Confession is a faithful summary of the Word of God? How? Sort of arbitrary to choose how, but what we want to talk about is our confessing with the mouth. 
talked about this before. We talk about it in the introduction to the Catechism. We talk about it in the introduction to the Canons of Thought. We've talked about it when we considered the ecumenical creeds. But it's worth saying again that this is one of our distinctives, that we actually confess what we believe. And not just confess it with the mouth, but we confess with the mouth the truths that are summarized in writing in our confessions. We actually say what we believe. We define it. We believe it's important, yes, even crucial, to clearly state what we believe and not just leave it up to a casual conversation in the parking lot or the general consensus of the church that we happen to go to or the whims and the convictions of the minister that we like to hear preach Sunday by Sunday. We confess... We are a confessional community. We actually say what we believe. And it's true, as we've mentioned before, isn't it, that everybody draws the line somewhere. I mean, some churches will not write out their statements of faith. They will not confess in any kind of detail uh, what they uh, believe as a community. Many of them will, right? It may not be written out, but whether or not it is, everybody, right, is saying that they're a Christian, and everybody, when they say that, whether it's written down or not, has a certain set of beliefs that define what is okay to agree on and what is okay to disagree on, right? These are the same people who say that they believe in Jesus Christ, even, that He died for their sins and that they only follow the Bible. How many times have you heard that? But for that reason, because so many people who use the language of Christian, Jesus died on the cross. Uh, I only follow the Bible. Because everybody says that, or so many people say that, it's all the more necessary to be very clear what we mean when we say it. The trajectory of our culture today, isn't it, is to water down the scripture to the lowest common denominator. That if you say you're a Christian, then let's throw off all of the historic debates in the church about doctrine because it's hard and unwieldy and boring. And let's just unite in love and happiness and peace and work the scripture down to its very whatever we could discern as its most basic tenets to be the most inclusive possible. Of course, never bothering to ask whether or not that whole idea is arbitrary because how do you then decide between what's important and what's not rather than looking to the Scripture itself to see its central truths and leave its uh, truths Indeed, the same level of truth, but uh, secondary on the outside. That's a biblical question too, isn't it? And the trajectory of our day is simply to water things down as much as possible. This is one of the great dangers. We see this played out in our culture of things like uh, private Bible study groups where people come and they somehow have some sort of lowest common denominator of uh, conviction that say the Bible is the Word of God. And uh, nothing wrong with encouraging people to open the Word of God and to read it, right? Uh, But then for uh, teachers of various levels of 
understanding or not. Under no supervision of the church which Christ has instituted and the officers of the church who are charged by Christ to oversee doctrine. Leading people in their understanding more or less wherever they happen to draw the line of what they find to be true or not. Thinking even that people can come to the Scripture neutral themselves when we know that's not true of anyone, including us. That we all bring a certain set of ideas and understandings to the Scripture when we open it. And all the more then, we should be checking our understanding and reading the Scripture, not in and of ourselves, it's not a magic book, but studying the Scripture in the context of the church, which not only exists today, but in the context of the church's reflection on the Scripture for thousands of years. But in our haste to call it accessible, in our haste to even defend it as the Word of God, We open it to uh, everybody. People take authoritative oversight when it has not been given to them by Christ of the Scripture. Teaching others. Watering down the Scripture to the lowest common denominator to make everybody feel accepted and equal, on equal footing. Now the opposite evil is also true and this is what faces Reformed churches over and over again and is so vile to each of us and that is the just terrible and continual overly confessing and overly fighting and splitting hairs on every little thing that comes up in the world. And let me tell you, let this not be true of the Ontario URC. Let the Ontario URC, when we say we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth, the ecumenical creeds and the three forms of unity, the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgian Confession and the Canons of Dort, don't add to things after that, people of God. Don't look down on your fellow members of the church who don't work out in their Christian life everything exactly the way that you do. And don't demand perfect doctrinal precision on things outside of our confessions. Because none of your brothers and sisters have bowed themselves to believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths any more than what they have in the confessions. And how many times have we seen in the history of Reformed Christianity denominations torn apart? What? About confessional things? No! About things that are outside of the confessions. As if we're in a place already to the world where we aren't being precise enough. And it's not saying that if you have a strong conviction about something in your life or something the way the church should run or some the way that uh, the culture, Christian culture should express itself and you found an argument in the Word of God which you believe is true, yes, it's important. And yes, you may persuade and defend and give your life to and pray for those who disagree with you and discuss and encourage. But this business of over-confessing has no end, does it? And it splits the church apart, and it distracts the church from preaching the central truths of the Christian faith. And encouraging people in godliness and in growth in the scripture. Sanctification. Say, well, how do you draw the line? Well, the Ontario URC didn't draw the lines. The Ontario URC with our forefathers before us and the development of the creeds and the confessions that came before us has been reading the scripture and thinking about what things to include and what things to take out over time. 
So it's not arbitrary. We've been reading the scripture with the church. We've been writing and then receiving and embracing and even changing the confessions at times when they were not faithful to the word of God. When it was necessary. It's the wisdom of the ages of the church coming together as the Spirit is leading His people to read the Scripture. It's a solid basis for church unity. When we say, we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth in this church, these confessions, we believe that these are a good tool to build unity among the visible church in the world. To call people to the scriptural truths that are summarized here. That transcend ethnic, cultural, national bounds. Go to the ends of the earth. Young and old alike, submitting to the doctrines of the church because they're revealed in the Word of God. We all believe in the heart and confess with the mouth. That's us, the official members of confessional churches who are honest enough intellectually to say what we believe, to face our doubts and fears and get answers to them so that we actually believe what we're saying, to be faithful to God and to our brothers and sisters to persevere in the doctrine which is true and revealed in the Word, summarized in the Belgic Confessions and other places, holding to the truth of God, growing in our understanding and in our knowledge to the glory of His holy name. To that all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are attacked on all sides. We attack ourselves. And we ask for your help and for your name to be glorified in our thinking. We are tempted to become lazy in our understanding of you, our knowledge of you. Tempted to succumb to emotionalism and to give our emotions more of a place than they deserve. Thank you that we may uh, truly live with you and that it's not merely an intellectual game or learning a few bullet points of theology or a confession, but it truly is uh, to walk with you. But we know part of that, Lord, is to understand you properly, to know you more, to grow in our, our, the maturity of our minds according to uh, the power of your Spirit. Help us to uh, face our doubts and questions. Help us to be honest and ask those who have been uh, given to serve us, the pastors especially, uh, how we can reconcile our doubts with our faith. Help us to uh, love each other and care for each other in the growth of the Word of God. Let's to hold fast. Help us not to compromise its truths. Would we uh, be defenders of that Word? in an age where your word is maligned and even where your churches uh, would water it down. Be gracious to us, Father, as you reveal to us the truths of your word summarized in the Belgic Confession. Uh, Help us to, to know you more and to love you. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing number 252 as our closing song. 252. Now we've chosen the section of Psalm 119 because it uh, speaks of the glorious 
word of God and his wondrous testimonies. But notice the last stanza and the second, the third line. Because your statutes are despised, with overwhelming grief I weep. And that's just always been true in the world. It's the antithesis between the truth of God and those who would reject it. And it's the context in which we live also. We rejoice in the word of God and we have grief that of the truths of God are not received by all. Let's sing 252, the four stanzas. Thy wondrous testimonies, Lord, my soul will keep and greatly praise. Thy word by faithful lips proclaim to simplest minds the truth conveys. I thirst for thy commandments, Lord, and for thy mercy press my claim. Oh, look on me and show the grace displayed to all who love thy name. Direct my footsteps in thy word from sin's dominion save my soul from man's oppression set me free that I may yield to thy control oh make thy face to shine on me and teach me upon the Lord using the words that Jesus taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Savior, again to thy dear name we raise With one accord our parting hymn of praise We stand to bless thee ere our worship cease And now departing await thy word of bless you and keep you to make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance on you give you peace Amen Amen.